0: Welcome to episode four of the Abominable Dr. Welsh podcast. It's Friday, August the 18th. This will actually be the second episode of the podcast that drops today. My uh, episode three, which I just published and uploaded maybe about 30 minutes ago, was intended to be released two weeks ago, but with holidays and work, I fell a little bit behind. Hopefully that will be the end of delays and I'll continue to be releasing uh, episodes on a weekly basis, at worst, maybe a biweekly basis. But for episode four, I wanted to take a look at uh, two movies based on the same intellectual property. So, Renfield came out in April of this year and fell well short of its uh, box office, uh, well short of its production budget. Uh, And then, Last Voyage of the Demeter, which opened early in August, even though it's still. Uh, in the midst of its theatrical run, is is going to be a box office bomb. So neither of these movies have even recouped their production budget, both based on Bram Stoker's Dracula, both very different movies, um, one more loosely connected and reimagining the other, Last Voyage of the Demeter just being one excerpt or chapter from the original novel. Of course, what studios and entertainment media pundits, their takeaway is that this is a, perhaps an example that Dracula just has, has lost a bit of his bite, that audiences are no longer interested in vampires in general, and that Stoker's novel perhaps is maybe so uh, published so long ago and has been done over and over so many times that general audiences and horror fans have, have moved on and have no interest. I'm not entirely convinced that that argument is actually the correct takeaway. And that's going to be the focus of this podcast episode and like the first three episodes i'll finish things off with a couple of mini capsule reviews of movies i've seen in the last week or so but let's get started with looking at whether or not dracula has in fact lost his bite with movie going audiences So, 2023 has been another big year for horror. In fact, we're we're in something of a golden era for the genre That's probably been extends back at least a decade. 2023 started off right away with a a January hit with Megan. January is usually a a dead zone, or always was prior to COVID, for for movie releases in general. Megan did quite well. Uh, Both Scream 6 and Evil Dead Rise early in spring. Both did well at the box office, The Pope's Exorcist wasn't a huge box office, but it certainly did all right. And then we've had uh, Insidious the Red Door, which not only has, is the biggest horror earner in 2023, but I believe is now the biggest uh, earner in the Insidious franchise. But Insidious the Red Door, which is, this is the fifth movie in a franchise that extends back over a decade Um is The Last Key certainly wasn't a great movie, so there was no reason to expect The Red Door to A, be good, and it's it's fa- perfectly fine for what it is, but to do the business it's done at the box office, uh, it's I would describe as surprising. and it's, it's 2023's biggest horror earner of the year. Talk to me from A24, released the same month, just around the same time as Last Voyage of the Demeter. Obviously, it's not racking up huge box office dollars, but critics have been impressed. It's made, it's made back its budget and more it's certainly done well enough that uh, a sequel has already been green lit yet here we have renfield and the last voyage of the demeter based on a very recognizable intellectual property for horror fans that has both movies have, have bombed at the box office but we can't chalk this up to uh general fatigue with horror because for a movie to make the kind of Money that Insidious, The Red Door has made—that's not just horror fans driving uh, that profit. That's that's general audiences or, or moviegoers flocking to see it. Is it something similar to what we're seeing with Marvel and DC's cinematic universe of, of superheroes? Are horror fans and audiences in general tired of Dracula? Has the the concept been done too many times? If you look online, there's—I think it says something like there's. Dracula has appeared in something like 200 different film adaptations to varying degrees, and that doesn't count uh, him popping up in TV shows or other types of mediums. So is it a fatigue with the character itself and Bram Stoker's intellectual property? I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think media analysts have have latched onto the wrong takeaway, so this is not unlike. So recently, Randall Park, the actor, pointed out that he thinks that uh the studio has taken the the raw, or has walked away with the raw take home message from Brad Gerwig's uh, Barbie success. So, Barbie has been a, a massive uh, cinematic success. It's a it's a cultural phenomenon. There's there's alongside Oppenheimer, it's Barbenheimer. Not surprisingly, studios have have decided that this means that toys uh, are perfectly uh excellent vehicles for cinematic adaptations so mattel the what i've read in entertainment magazines is mattel is now rushing to essentially monetize and uh, adapt its toy lines into a shared toy universe Uh, i would tend to agree with randall park on this one i think studios have have walked away with the wrong message from parby's success and what it means and i think uh Similarly, media analysts have the wrong take-home message when looking at why Renfield and The Last Voyage of the Demeter failed. Uh, It could very well be that audiences just aren't interested in Dracula anymore, but I think there are other things that uh, need to be considered and are at play. Well, we'll start off first with the, the premise or possibility that, yes, maybe audiences generally, and horror fans more specifically, have lost interest in vampires and Dracula himself as a character, that uh, it's the, the character is oversaturated horror for too long, and audiences are moving on to something new and something different. So as Wikipedia lists, Dracula's popped up in something like 200 different film adaptations. And those adaptations have ranged from kind of classic gothic interpretations to, we've already seen studios twice uh, try and reimagine Dracula by transporting him into modern eras. Hammer did it first in the 1970s with their, uh, I think it's Dracula 1972 AD, sorry, Christopher Lee. And then there was the uh, Dracula 2000. That came out in two thousand. So we've already seen many ideas recycled, and the the possibility that audiences uh, lose interest in something that they previously liked to move on to something else cycles exist in the entertainment industry like everywhere else. So much has been written about over the last year this idea of superhero fatigue that uh, DC, which its cinematic universe has had a lot of problems. Uh, It's produced two big box office bombs in Black Adam and the Flash in just under a year. But even Marvel's Cinematic Universe, which previously I think people would have considered bulletproof, is showing signs of being stretched too thin. Other intellectual properties from The Fast and Furious to Indiana Jones to to Star Wars to even Mission Impossible and Tom Cruise. uh, Some of these movies are losing money or are at the very least underwhelming. And... Perhaps maybe vampires were in a down cycle and audiences, uh, or at least mainstream audiences, are just not as interested. So in the early 2000s or mid-2000s up to the early 2010s, vampires were were extremely popular in popular culture. You had the Twilight series, which we can debate and argue about to what extent that's a, a traditional horror franchise. Uh, And its interpretation of vampires. But there was True Blood on HBO that was extremely popular in its first few seasons. Uh, But probably by the mid-2010s, audiences had moved on. True Blood certainly ended on kind of a, I would say, underwhelming note. And then Zombies were all the rage. We, we had in the early 2000s, 28 days later, you had the Dawn of the Dead remake in 2004 to the Walking Dead series that was massively popular even with non-horror fans and popular enough to produce Fear of the Walking Dead, a spinoff. But by, I think, post-2015, at least for certain by 2018, the Walking Dead's ratings began to steadily decline. Audiences were starting to tune out. So, You know, zombies kind of lost their luster. Uh, Even the undead, as it turns out, can can die at the box office and in television ratings. The other takeaway from this is that studios, uh, the people who make decisions about, you know, what movies we're going to make, what TV series get greenlit, don't always get uh, or take away the right message from things. So the takeaway message from The Walking Dead and and kind of the waning ratings uh, in its last few years certainly hasn't deterred studio executives from greenlighting more spinoffs and, and saturating the market with, with more zombies. But it is very much possible that maybe in 2023, audiences have seen enough vampires and have certainly seen enough adaptations or reimagines of Dracula that they don't feel like there's anything left there to mine. And it's, it's a, a trend that needs to uh, sit on the shelf for a while until you know a new project comes along that reinvigorates fan interest. So it is, it's entirely possible that The Last Voyage of the Demeanor and Renfield are, are box office failures for the very simple reason that audiences really just don't want to see Dracula movie theaters, at least for the time being, that, that that they've soured on or have lost interest in the character. I would argue that there are more important factors at play, and I'll start with Renfield, and for me there are two things that immediately stand out that, in my opinion, doomed Renfield uh, f- from being a failure before it even made its way onto one theater or screen, and the first is its budget itself. So Renfield's budget, if you go to its IMDb page or to its Wikipedia page, is listed as somewhere in the neighborhood of $60 million. That doesn't include marketing costs. That budget in and of itself, as far as I'm concerned, was like an anchor tied around the neck of this movie. There is no way uh, Renfield was going to make in excess of $60 million and there's no reason the movie needed to be budgeted at 60 million dollars. Yes, there's a lot of action, there's a lot of it's it's over the top slapstick gore, but we've seen plenty of horror movies made on shoestring shoestring budgets that, you know, really tap into that kind of over the top, you know, balls to the wall gore that have still looked really good and have been a lot of fun. Uh, look at Bloomhouse, uh the studio's model for producing and releasing horror movies that they've been using for over a decade now. These are modestly budgeted movies, uh, that end up doing well in part because they didn't have a high threshold to, to hit to be considered profitable. The Conjuring, Insidious, both of those movies look good. Uh the the production values don't look like they an issue at all. Uh, watch get out production values don't look like they're an issue. Uh, I could list a dozen, uh, you know, at least a dozen horror movies that have been box office successes over the last several years that look good on screen and have a budget. That's probably at least half as much as what Renfield's budget was. Keep in mind, Renfield is a, a horror comedy, which doesn't necessarily market itself really well to mainstream audiences. Uh, It's a, A rated R horror comedy. So it is what I would consider to be slapstick gore. There are limbs getting ripped off, potties exploding on screen. There's lots of blood that gets poured across uh, over the duration of its runtime. It's not that that's not going to appeal to a larger mainstream audience. It's also not a traditional Dracula adaptation, which is something that we'll touch on uh, in, uh, in a few minutes. This is not a movie that was going to ever make that much money. So part of Renfield's problem is whoever greenlit that budget. The other issue, which again is something that impacted Renfield as far as I'm concerned before it hit the screen, was the release schedule itself. So Renfield comes out in April of this year. Just a month prior to that, or at least maybe four or three weeks prior to that, you have Scream 6 hit theaters. Around the same time that Renfield is getting released in the theaters, you have The Pope's Exorcist getting released, and you have Evil Dead Rise. So going to the movies is expensive. Once you factor in your ticket price, then you factor in if you get any snacks. If it's more than one person going, and these obviously are are not movies that you're bringing your family to, but even for one person to go to the movies, it's you know you're probably looking around. If you get a drink, a snack, and your ticket, between thirty to forty dollars. Not everyone is going to spend that much money to go see The Pope's Exorcist, Scream Six, Evil Dead Rise. And Renfield, that is audiences are probably going to get selective in terms of certain movies. Uh, That's why you don't see tons of movies get released, uh, horror movies get released, I should say, in October. That is, you'll you'll see a couple of them, but studios probably take a bit of a gamble and decide, you know, what movies are getting released around this time, and, and can we compete with it? Because they realize that average film goers aren't going to see every horror movie that gets released around Halloween. They may pick one, maybe two. So when Renfield gets released in April, it's facing what would be a fairly full schedule or slate of horror movies. One of those horror movies, The Pope's Exorcist, is one that I would argue is far better primed to connect with or at least attract Average film goers to theaters. The Pope's Exorcist wasn't rated R. I think it was PG 13, or at least it was in Canada. Having watched it, I would describe it as a much tamer version of most demonic possession movies. There certainly was nothing in it that I would have deemed in this day and age as offensive, shocking, or over the top in terms of graphic violence. So it has that working to its advantage. It also has a recognizable and still somewhat bankable lead star in Russell Crowe. So it's a big name actor attached to a horror project. That's probably going to win over the average film goer who, if they're interested in seeing something scary, they would probably choose that, I would argue, over, say, um, Renfield or Evil Dead Rise. And then you have Evil Dead Rise, which comes with a built-in fan base. Uh, The Evil Dead franchise is extremely popular with horror fans. The Evil Dead sequel from 2013 didn't just resonate with Evil Dead franchise fans. Audiences in general saw that movie. It did well at the box office. And you had this kind of 10-year gap between each movie to kind of build that anticipation. Maybe you had some, you know, for people who are just general film goers who had already seen Scream 6... Renfield is now competing in a field where the potential audience for it was probably a small, given the nature of the movie itself, and it's competing for you know, a limited attention, not just amongst genre fans, but film goers in general. So those two things, its budget and the fact that it was a fairly full slate of horror movies around the time it was released – probably hurt its prospects quite a bit, more so than the fact that it was based on Bram Stoker's Dracula. I think one of the things that's bothering me with the the takeaway we're seeing right now in discussions of Renfield and The Last Voyage of the Demeter is just the automatic conclusion that it's because people are, are, are sick of Dracula, and that the, the character doesn't resonate quite as much with audiences. Particularly when you look at both Renfield and Last Voyage of the Demeter and not just what they're about. I mean, yes, very loosely, they're connected to Stoker's intellectual property, one more so than the other. But they're both very different versions of Dracula and to some extent are, are somewhat removed while also at the same time being connected to that source material. So if you take a look at Renfield first, so again, I I talked previously, Renfield was kind of doomed straight out of the gate based on its budget and release schedule. But Renfield is an extremely different version or take, and it's a very non-traditional adaptation of its source material to the point that it really it's about as connected to Dracula as, as Mel Brooks' uh, Dracula Dead and Loving It. Dracula Dead and Loving It, uh, which came out in the mid-1990s, mid, mid 1990s, I think 1995. That found Mel Brooks at a point where, and I know Robin Hood Men in Tights has its fans, but I, I would argue Mel Brooks was well past kind of you know his heyday of making movies like Blazing Saddles, uh, Young Frankenstein, even Spaceballs. Uh, so... Dracula Dead and Loving It audiences but it didn't do well at the box office. Critics hated it. Uh, it's only three years removed from Francis Ford Coppola's you know, very gothic, uh, visually, I would call innovative, interpretation of Dracula, which did quite well. And it's still highly regarded today. So I would suggest Renfield's failure to connect with audiences it has more in common with Dracula Dead and Loving It than, than the argument that audiences just don't like dracula anymore or, or have lost interest in the source material. Yes, it's it's based on characters from from Dracula that is Renfield and and the count himself. But it's using those characters really to tell a story about uh, a comedy about toxic codependent relationships. These aren't the characters as we recognize them really from the movies we've seen in the past or reading the book and they obviously Renfield is Renfield to some extent. It's, it has enough of the character built in as does Nicolas Cage's Dracula. But this is clearly a comedic interpretation. They're using Stoker's source material to tell a very different story. As I said in you know my last portion of the podcast, horror comedies are a tough sell to begin with. They're, they're two genres that are tough to nail and mix together. The, I would suggest that that mixing doesn't appeal to a wider audience and the violence itself that's in there in its comedic slapstick gore is not something that's going to appeal to wider audiences but this is not uh, the dracula that we remember it's very much far removed and if you look at other aspects of it so, um, in particular the casting of nicholas cage i think really did kind of signal to audiences to expect so nicholas cage who is and, and once upon a time was a very well-respected actor this was someone who was uh there's leaving las vegas um he's been an action film star and yes over the last decade plus nicholas cage has starred in just about every low budget uh knockoff ripoff movie uh he stars in just about everything you can really trace kind of the the downward spiral of his career from the uh, Wicker Man remake, which really is one of those movies that's so bad it's good, but still really just a bad movie. Keep in mind, Nicolas Cage has also made a lot of interesting career choices, particularly in the horror genre. He's done some pretty cool work. So uh, if you haven't seen Mandy or if you haven't seen Color uh, Color of Space, both of those are really uh, they're very lovecraftian they're very uh like the 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 colors in the movie the the atmosphere they're uh, both probably fall under the category of cosmic horror they're very different unique Mm -hmm. movies that probably will be cult classics for years to come he did prisoners of the ghost land which i Personally, didn't enjoy, but I could see lovers of cult kind of movies really uh, kind of digging. He's done Pig, uh, uh, the the film Pig, which was quite interesting and unique. Cage has kind of carved out kind of a, a niche area of movies that probably people would best describe as Nicolas Cage movies. Uh, he's kind of his own thing. Casting him as Dracula, which was kind of dream casting. Audiences, I, I think, in general, I think fans of horror movies and Fans of Nicolas Cage in general probably were very excited about the casting. I know I was, and he certainly, he's one of the best parts of the movie. He he literally che- chews the scenery. It's its a lot of fun to watch in the role, uh, in that particular role of character. But I also think it—you know it sends a message to audiences that this is kind of, you know, I think at this point, Cage is known for either one of two things. Uh, really low-budget movies that pop up nowadays on Tubi that you've never heard of, and kind of these niche oddball films like, Mandy, Pig, Prisoners of the Ghostland, Willies, Wonderland, that don't have that appeal. In other words, what I'm, what I'm kind of suggesting is, is that this is not a traditional rendition of Dracula. It's using names we associate and characters we associate with it in a very different way. And the presence of Cage himself is almost kind of like a tip-off to audiences that you know this is something different. Uh, some audiences might have even seen it as a Nicolas Cage movie. While Nicholas Holt is Renfield, he's he's prominently featured in the marketing. He, in fact, is the star of the movie. It, it, it's his movie. Great actor, does a great job in it. I think for the average film goer, they probably saw Cage on the poster and thought this is a Nicolas Cage movie, which might have also impacted uh, their interest in seeing it. All of this is unfortunate because... Uh, Renfield is actually a really fun movie. I do think at some point over the next several years, it will find an audience. It's going to probably be one of those movies that develops a cult following. It certainly deserves to have one. Its it's box office fate is is sad considering how much fun the movie is. But again, I I think uh, Part of this, and I'm going to touch on it again when I talk about Last Voyage of the Demeter, we're we're just chalking this up to a failure in the source material. That is, this is another example of of an IP and intellectual property that studios have beaten to death to the point that audiences are walking away. That may be true, but we're ignoring other factors. And in this case, Renfield is not a traditional take on Dracula. The Last Voyage of the Demeter is obviously a very different interpretation of the Dracula legend, but I would suggest it suffers the, the, from the same problem as, as Renfield does. In this case, it's obviously a more direct um, take on Stoker's intellectual property. It's it's literally taking a chapter from Dracula's novel, the novel that is the, the voyage from from the shores of Bulgaria to to England and Carfax Abbey and what happens on the boat, the Demeter. It fills in the blanks of of what's a very brief excerpt from the novel. But much like Renfield, it's what I would argue is The Last Voyage of the Demeter is a monster movie first and very much a Dracula movie second. And and in fact, I would argue in, in a lot of ways, if you didn't use the words Demeter Or mention the name Dracula. This this is a monster movie in general. It's not even necessarily. I I wouldn't describe it as a vampire vampire movie first. That to me would be something secondary. It does have obviously vampire lore. They are sunlight impacts them. Dracula needs to feed on blood. There's the incorporation of again the Demeter of references to Carfax Abbey uh, to Transylvania, but this is more of a monster movie than it is anything else in fact last voyage of the demeter and, and other critics in the media who have reviewed the movie have made this connection long of, before i did it's almost like alien on a ship it is really how it plays out that is it, you know a crew picks up a package uh, from a location and on the course of, of making their way to where they're, they're going when they're isolated and, and well removed from any sort of assistance or help that package turns out to have, you know, a monster that picks them off one by one by one. So it has more in common. Last Voyage of the Demeter has, has more in common in terms of the style and delivery of its story to Alien than it does to Dracula itself. If you haven't seen the movie, there will be some minor spoilers here. Part of the, again, where where Last of the the last voyage of the Demeter to me really significantly departs as a Dracula interpretation is we never see anything on screen that remotely resembles what we associate with Dracula. At the very end of the movie, do you see someone with kind of a, a cane, dressed in a fancy suit with a top hat that appears? It's a very momentary, like we're talking a few seconds of uh, an appearance in a scene. Otherwise, what you get in this particular movie is a, a monstrous rendition of a vampire. It's not even like the uh, uh, Nosferatu from the original silent film, or from *Salem's Lot*, um, uh, Kurt Barlow in that movie. This is it plays out much more like a comic, like like Man Bat from Batman, for example. It's 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 a half bat, hat half man kind of a monster. So all the things you associate with Dracula, the the European accent, that kind of aristocratic manner of dress and, and speaking, the elegance, the sexualization. Of vampires, all of that is absent from this movie. It is, it is really plays out like a monster movie more than anything else. That to me far removes it from Dracula. Again, when we think of Dracula, there, there is a very particular image. Again, while there are certain movies, and I'll I'll go back to the, the 70s TV mini miniseries Salem's Lot, where that rendition of a vampire is more monstrous and hideous. In general, what we think about when we think of Dracula specifically, and even vampires in general, again, it's, it's those elements of sexuality, charisma, uh, kind of rich or an aristocratic manner of speaking dress style. None of that is present in this movie, which far removes it from the, the Dracula lore. The way in which the movie is filmed, uh, its the, while it has a gothic backdrop to it, so in some ways, Last Voyage of the Demeter looks like maybe what Hammer Films might have made if it was making that type of movie today. And yes, Hammer Films is producing the odd movie here and there. But if we forgot about the movies made over the last 10 years by Hammer and thought what if Hammer could jump from making uh, you know, Scars of Dracula with Christopher Lee in the 70s and jumping immediately to Last Voyage of the Demeter with you know the, the style of filmmaking present today, it kind of looks like it on the surface. But it plays out more like a what I would describe as a fairly safe PG13 CGI infused action movie. There's not much in the way of atmosphere or scares. The focus here is on really quick jolts uh, and very much emphasizing loud sounds and sudden movements. you don't get a lot of clear looks at things. Um, it, a lot of the, while there are good makeup effects and I think it's heavier, Bote plays. This rendition of Dracula looks quite good when you get the close-up shots, but there's certainly a a lot of CGI in this particular movie, which to me also makes it more comparable to what I would call your generic monster film than a specific take on Dracula. There's just no particular visual style or means of presenting the character and, and what the character does. That would set it apart, like say how Francis Ford Coppola did with his version of Dracula. This just really plays out like your standard, typical monster movie. The previews kind of made it look like your typical standard monster movie. In other words, you're not really. I, I find it interesting to to criticize the movie that it you know it's a sign that audiences aren't interested in Dracula when there's really. Very little other than the use of the name Dracula and the use of the the concept of the Demeter, that part of it. There really is nothing else about it that stylistically, the way the story is told or how it unfolds, that connects back to Dracula's story. And again, it doesn't mean maybe audiences really are tired uh, of vampires in general and and Dracula. Maybe we need uh, a, a break from the character for a while. But to me, both Renfield and Last Voyage of the Demeter are very different movies that while they obviously, in their DNA, Dracula is present, they're they're not really traditional Dracula movies. So we're wrapping up the end of episode four of the Abominable Doctor Watch podcast. Again, we've been looking at the box box office failures of Renfield back in April and this August of the last voyage of the Demeter. The takeaway that studios and uh, kind of pundits and entertainment media have taken away is that audiences simply have lost interest in Dracula as an intellectual property. I'm not saying that that's entirely wrong, because we certainly are seeing right now today uh, uh, waning audience interest in certain intellectual properties, from Mission Impossible, Fast and the Furious, to DC and Marvel's World of Superheroes, to Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, audiences aren't turning out in the same numbers. Even Star Wars, with all of its TV series and movies, it has lost something something of its luster. Even if you're enjoying what they're putting out, it's not special like it was when, for example, they announced uh, the original prequels in the late 1990s. And part of the problem may simply be is that the entertainment industry continues to its own detriment to market nostalgia to death. And, and we don't seem to be producing new things for new audiences to someday be nostalgic over. That is, I, I feel bad for people like my son's age, younger people who what really they're getting in a lot of entertainment is my generation's recycled nostalgia. And if you take a look at this past year, what's really worked at the box office, Oppenheimer, Barbie, and Talk to Me as three examples, there are three really different Things. They're not necessarily connected to, I mean, Barbie is connected to a toy line, but that's probably not entirely why it's been successful at the box office. And Talk To Me isn't an entirely original concept that's done quite well and resonated with horror fans. So it is really possible that in general, audiences just have lost interest in Dracula as a character, that he's been on screen too often and some time needs to pass before the character is interesting again. I do think there are other factors, every you know, ranging from box office to release schedule to simply the fact that neither of these movies, Renfield or Last Voyage of the Demeter, really is a traditional interpretation of Dracula. They're very loosely connected to the lore. And again, like I said in uh, earlier in the podcast, even Last Voyage of the Demeter, that is much more directly uh, a direct interpretation of Stoker's novel, really plays out on screen like a generic monster movie where they happen to mention the name Dracula and include a bit of kind of vampire mythology. It has more in common spiritually with alien, uh, albeit not nearly as good as that movie than it does with anything we've ever seen connected with Dracula itself. So again, sometimes uh, the takeaways we, we walk uh, that we we have are, are simple and uh, not always nuanced. Uh, but that's my take on it. Um, if you go to the blog and are looking for any new reviews, a couple of movies that I'll just re- really quickly name drop. Uh, Mother May I, uh, I'll be posting a review of that later today. It's it's listed or marketed somewhat as a horror movie. It's it's has elements of horror in it. It uses some horror aesthetics uh, and it borrows some supernatural tropes, but it's more of a psycho I would describe a psychological thriller or drama than anything else. And, yeah, there's the latest um, release on Shudder called Bad Things. So if you're looking for queer horror, you definitely will want to check out Bad Things. It's, uh, again, the review I'll have posted at some point over the weekend. Uh, It's kind of like a a queer horror take on or reimagining of The Shining. Great atmosphere, great performances. Uh, You know, in my review, one of the things I touch on is that perhaps the the writer and director errs a bit too much on the, the side of ambiguity, so some of the the resolution of the story is an entirely satisfying, but it's well worth checking out. Especially if you're someone who is looking for more examples of queer horror, because there aren't too many uh, that would fall into that category. But that's it for this week, uh, episode four. Again, I've dropped two episodes today, and I appreciate if you're checking them out. And episode five should be out uh, a week from today, next Friday. So uh, thank you, and have a good weekend.